Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Brown. Brown. Its very name tells you everything you need to know about it. Brown, in some contexts, could conjure images of burnt sugar, chocolate, and coconut skin. But brown, in a British context, means fading wallpaper, the threadbare carpets of government buildings, and the corduroy slacks on Michael Caine in Educating Rita. Brown is rationing when all the primary colours were being hoarded by the US military. Brown is a 70s intellectual discovering pesto for the first time. Brown is the good-natured pragmatism of old labour. <laughs> Hello and welcome back to the Prospect interview. I'm Stephanie Boland, head of digital here at Prospect magazine, and this week we'll be talking to our new columnist, Caroline O'Donoghue, about British food culture. Specifically, where did brown sauce come from? And how come what's on our plates always goes back to the evergreen question of class and politics? Caroline has just joined our group of Prospect Live columnists, where she joins our other four regular writers, Hepspar Anderson, Cal Flynn, Charlotte Higgins and Ben Markovitz. Her new column, called Popularity Context, celebrates all the everyday, seemingly insignificant objects of ordinary life. And her first article for us looks at the curious history and hidden politics behind Britain's humble HP source. Before I meet her, however, I'm joined here in the studio by our deputy editor, Steve Bloomfield. Hello, Steve. Hi, Steph. So, Steve, you chose Caroline to take over this slot in life. Tell us a little bit about the idea behind the column. Well, I don't think it's quite fair to say I chose her. Like all things here at Prospect, it's a it's a collaborative effort. Um, and we all discussed it. And in fact, actually, the original idea, Steph, came from you, did it not? Oh, I, I don't have ideas, Steve. I wouldn't, um, <laughs> I, I wouldn't presume to comment. <laughs> um, I think she was a writer that both of us had... Uh, admired from afar she, she had a really good column in the pool um the sadly no longer with us uh women's online magazine is that the best way of describing it i think sort of isn't it yeah i think that's a fair way of describing the yeah. pool and also no longer with us anymore so um <laughs> what are you gonna do <laughs> so there we are, they're, really. they're gonna ask us on twitter yeah. yeah um and she also wrote columns for the irish version of the times um and she's also a novelist as well um i think the thing we've always been trying to do with the life section in prospects which you know comes right at the back of the magazine you know after all the long essays is that it is just a little bit of a oh god this is going to sound awful but like a let's take our shoes off and relax that does sound awful wow, doesn't that was it so much worse than i thought <laughs> I didn't know what you, the script you were going to go for but yeah that um that yeah, was really yeah, terrible yeah. it really is I need a better elevator pitch for what the life section is. Um, but it's, you know, Hepspard writes about family. Cal's writing about uh, nature and her relationship to it. Uh, ben writes 
the most novelistic sports column uh, you've ever read in your life. Uh, and then Charlotte has a really nice column on um, on the classics uh, and how they relate to today. And before Caroline, we of course had the wonderful Cathy Rensenbrink, who used to write about uh, modern life and all its quirks and various bad habits. Uh, Cathy's column sort of came to a natural end. She'd, she'd done it for 18 months. She didn't really want to do it any longer. Uh, and we started to think about who was next. And, and we alighted on Caroline. But let me ask you a question, Steph. Mm, okay. What is it about Caroline that you think adds something to to the current batch of columnists? Well, I used to read her at the pool and then I read Promising Young Women when it came out. But I think, which is Caroline's Caroline's first novel, um, she's working on a young adult book next with a quite tremendous publishing contract, it has to be said. But the work of hers that she's done um, that inspired me to propose her for this was actually a podcast called School for Dumb Women. And the idea behind this was that Caroline and two other women would take subjects that you've never really thought to dig into. How is fizzy water actually made? What was going on with Mr Blobby? You know, this is, whether it's something from culture or media or everyday life, looking into how it actually works. Why are your eyes above your nose? Why did we evolve that way? Um, the kind of conversations you have when you're a little bit drunk and you suddenly go, <laughs> hey, why is it that, you know, we have to have our nose actually above our mouth but below our eyes so you can smell food, by the way. Um, and I thought it's something that works with Prospect where our mission is always to open up a subject and quite often in the main body of the magazine and on the website we're trying to explain how indicative votes work we're trying to talk about the world trade organization we're going to see down and looking at the political situation there something we are increasingly trying to do more of and i think you've pulled out really well editing life is what happens if you turn that same forensic eye to things you might not think of as very highbrow topics but form part of the texture of what we're seeing around us in the world all the time and i think that's what caroline's column is really going to pick up on as you say it's called popularity context um and obviously yes i mean she's going to talk to you in a moment about the first column uh, all about brown source but yeah i'm really excited as to sort of you know where this column develops and and where she takes it well fantastic so our shoes are off we're very relaxed. Oh, I really need to find a better way of describing it. <laughs> it's too late now. We're going with it. Yeah. And um, coming into the cosy fireside and kicking off her mules is Caroline O'Donoghue. Welcome back to the Prospect interview. I'm here with Caroline O'Donoghue, who is a writer, author, general media doyen and our new columnist welcome caroline i'm delighted to be here and it's the first time i've ever been called a doyen wow this is a uh, big moment a real watershed moment for your career um you have come in with a quite unusual but fun column idea which is i guess we could boil it down to taking everyday things and really digging into them exploring them is that fair yes it is fair i've called it popularity context and it's one of those things where the name comes first and the idea comes second (laughs) it's like huh a pun time to reverse engineer from here but what it's really about is um I love kind of um, high culture readings of low culture items and particularly the things that we all like take for granted as just being part of the fabric of like our society. Um, And to begin that column series, I've begun with brown sauce, which, um, yeah, I find like 
I think it's just like inherently a funny thing. I think because it's called brown sauce and because brown isn't a flavor, but at the same time it is, <laughs> um, uh, is, is very funny. I think that the kind of the class signifiers around brown sauce is interesting um, and the history of it is kind of quite rich and storied. Uh, yeah, so I've begun with this sort of 800 word diatribe about brown sauce and I'm not I'm not asking people to, you know, call it, you know, important or anything, but I think it's it's that thing of like seeing the universe through the eye of a needle or in this case through the top of a brown sauce uh, container spout. <laughs> I'm really glad you picked this for a column actually because so much of what we do in Prospect relates to very sort of highbrow subjects and it's all about breaking it down in a way people can really understand it so it's economy it's things like that but there is so much richness in zoning and on very everyday things isn't there I think so and I think um I I just have a great love of like general ephemera um there's a wonderful Brian Eno quote that goes um culture is everything we don't have to do do you know what I mean? Oh, I love that. It's lovely, isn't it? It's like you don't you don't need to paint, you don't need to have sauce, <laughs> you know. Um, and but and and so because we don't need to do these things, the essence of who we are is locked up in them, you know, of who we truly are. And I think that's why it's kind of more appealing to me than tackling huge subjects that have so many different angles of them and it's sometimes nice to go very granular on the things that we don't need to have you know and the huge subject is always embedded in it I mean we've we've really found that in in this podcast obviously but your um your column really reminded me when my colleague Steve told me about it of Roland Barthes mythologies where he you know is this French theorist who takes things like wrestling and strippers and um, recipes in Elle magazine actually and filters them through the lens of really going what is this saying about culture and our beliefs about good and evil in wrestling and who the baddies are. So true and you know what actually it's it's very hard to not um, get lazy with it because there's so much stuff that has when you when you when you're um because I, I used to do a podcast called The School for Dumb Women, which was very much about like going deep on small things. And um, we did, you know, 60 episodes or whatever. And increasingly, if you take any sort of like um, very ubiquitous thing, what it would come back to is either the war, the depression. It's like, well, during rationing, people didn't have this. So now we have this. Like, that's why we have Ribena, for example. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And so it can be hard to break out of those very um, Eurocentric, American-centric discussions about like, well, the reason this happened was because of the war and um, trying to find more interesting ways around it, you know? That's so fascinating. I don't know if you want to read the bit in your column where you talk about the word slash flavor brown because you yes. do put it very nicely <laughs> yes let me um let me do a bit of a, a, a reading brown sauce is a sauce with connotations mustard can mean anything from a yellow squeezy bottle at a new york city hot dog stand to a stoutly middle class tin of colman's or piccadilly whole grain jar that a snap closed with a metal hook and an orange airtight seal ketchup is more workaday but you still get posh ketchups when you try to posh up brown sauce, however, you get chutney, which is the exact kind of reverse engineering that gave us HP sauce in the first place. A Nottinghamshire grocer invented in the 1870s is a cost-effective way to make the spoils of the empire a little more mass market, pouring in dates, tamarind, cayenne pepper, molasses, and whatever other odds and ends in the colonies that could be melted down to a burnt vinegary flavour we now simply know as brown. Brown! Brown! 
Its very name tells you everything you need to know about it. Brown, in some contexts, could conjure images of burnt sugar, chocolate, and coconut skin. But brown, in a British context, means fading wallpaper, the threadbare carpets of government buildings, and the corduroy slacks on Michael Caine in Educating Rita. Brown is rationing when all the primary colours were being hoarded by the US military. Brown is a 70s intellectual discovering pesto for the first time. Brown is the good-natured pragmatism of old labour. <laughs> I feel yeah. like for our international listeners, we need to just explain brown sauce a little bit more. You talked yes. a little bit about the ingredients, say, you know, we might have garlic, cayenne, tomato, dates, ginger, all these kinds of odds and ends, as you put it. Um, but talk us through brown sauce as as a condiment and what we put it on and how we use it. Just, just yeah, I, I think <laughs> most people... Um, uh, they associate it with like uh, with breakfasty like kind of bacon sandwiches, sausage baps, uh, any kind of fry up brown sauce kind of goes with it, and uh, or similar. You're not even breakfasty, but like you could have that for your tea, I think as well. Um, and it's very much a friend of ketchup, like <laughs> ketchup's older, more daring lover. Um, but I do think what's interesting to me about a brown sauce, and I think with any table sauces generally uh, that the the function of a table sauce is to add flavor to something after you've cooked it that's pretty simple and the deliciousness or the variation the kind of the citrusness the acidness the fat the heat or whatever that you get off of food it's kind of directly correlates to how much resources you have to put into that dish how much time you have to spend just over a stove squeezing lemons and things into things and so when you don't have that time you end up with very bland food you end up with you know what we know in Britain as working class food, like your potato waffles, your smileys, your, you know, having just, you know, slice after slice of like white buttered bread with your meal because it just pads out what could be nutritionally very thin. And so when you're adding something after the cooking is done, something like brown sauce, you're using that to liven up something that is generally quite nutritionally poor or taste bud wise is quite bland and I think there's something very evocative about that and why we associate it with class so much and it speaks to a type of cookery that I think definitely middle class people in England may do less of now because we've had Italian food becoming very popular here in the last 50 years yeah kind of French nouvelle cuisine so the idea of bland cooking which is its own you know, because of Empire and Spice Roots. It hasn't yeah. been around here forever, but there definitely was a period where you'd go lamb chops and potato is sort of what you're eating yeah. in your home. And now it's basil, tin tomatoes, things that don't actually grow well here Very at all. So. Yeah, <laughs> and there's been like a weird move into the last few years among like kind of your foodie bloggers and influencers about returning to a kind of a brown food aesthetic and how like it's very hard to take a picture of like, um you know, a lovely bubbling stew with a lovely kind of gold sort of shimmer on it when what people want to see is like... um you know, a perfectly cut tomato on top of something green. It's like they want kind of that vibrancy and there's a kind of a concern around what are we losing, what makes British cuisine British cuisine, which is in essence brown slop, you know? <laughs> yeah, and, and these aisles do not grow vibrant no, food no. naturally. <laughs> it's not it's um it's not kind of native to the, the soil or the weather <laughs> here at all. Yeah. It's interesting in that extract you read you referred to brown sauce is hp sauce which yes. is sort of the brand of of brown sauce yes. tell us a bit about that 
Well, HP Sauce is, was, um, it's short for Houses of Parliament, which I think most people know. And uh, funnily enough, I bought a bottle the other day and uh, they've, you know, they've, got the, they've got Big Ben on the cover and they now changed it to the scaffolding around it. <laughs> yeah, the scaffolding <laughs> is there now, which is a canny move. You can see it out the window <laughs> if, you, yeah, if, if you look out of the office. Um, so uh, I think it was just called whatever that grocer's name was called. I can't remember his name. Um is his brown sauce or whatever and it was he renamed it to HB or House of Parliament after finding out that it was being eaten in the cafeterias in the House of Parliament um, which is not the first or last time it became like oddly political um, so in the 60s we had um, Harold Wilson who was a Labour PM and uh, yes it's sort of I find him very fascinating as a character because he's a very um, uh, that kind of that thing that we sort of Sorry, it's hard to talk about because it's so British, I think. Like, I'm Irish and we have a slightly different political system um, that is less based on, like, a far left and a far right and it has more that kind of kodos and kang thing of everyone being broadly the same, apart from a few outliers. So I find um, the way people attach sort of... um, uh, emotions to the far left and the far right here and classes to the far left and the far right very interesting um, but anyway uh, Harold Wilson was kind of a bit over obsessed with being that man of the people in a way that British people hate when someone tries to over identify as that it's one of those things where it's like you don't tell us we tell you <laughs> it was um, and um, Wilson his wife was in the Sunday Times I think it was when he was up for re-election um, and he said you know if Harold has any faults is that he covers all of his food in brown sauce and after that for a short time the brown sauce was known as Wilson's gravy <laughs> which is something that's like it's a very pub quiz thing isn't it it's like oh did you know that but if you kind of drill down into it is that you've got this this woman who's the wife of the Labour PM who self-identifies as a poet talking to like a right sort of right-wing newspaper about how her husband smothers his food in this working man sauce. He's from Yorkshire. He's always banging on about being from Huddersfield. And like, it's, I could definitely see myself being that journalist in that room being like, oh, I'm going to beat you with this stick. Do you know what I mean? Like, that's so, it's so cloying, weirdly. And um, yeah, it's kind of something he, he walked into, really. It kind of reminds me of, did you ever read To Kill a Mockingbird? Where um, yeah. uh, one of Scout's school friends comes over and pours molasses on his breakfast yes and it's that really obvious class signifier and i think calpurnia has to say to her don't comment yes. on this completely yeah and it's it's weird when we do learn that as children it's like we just see people behaving in bizarre ways and you're like well, look mad why are they doing this thing? yeah it's it's funny that you bring in the labor party because i mean this comes up again and again i know the frothy coffee discourse that seems to happen repeatedly yes. now of people in the labor party talking about you know latte swilling liberals as if you don't have lattes yeah. in the in it's, the north <laughs> it's hilarious isn't it because it's like it, it kind of it, it lives in this sort of um 2001 sort of <laughs> yeah. time frame of like coffee and weird ways to drink it is new where it's like you go anywhere in the country you can go to a costa machine in a service station and get a latte uh it's how everybody you know drinks yeah. their coffee yeah. and um yeah and it, it's funny actually because when i was doing this research on brown sauce uh you know there's a there's like a, over the last sort of decade in particular it's a subject that the guardian has returned to a few times and obviously we're like in this era of digital media where and you're a journalist I'm a journalist we've both worked in like 
online publications that kind of needs a fluffy story to pad out the horror and you know there'll be there'll be a press release that comes through being like sales of brown sauce is down five percent and and then it'll be some food critic who's been commissioned to write a thousand words on why it's horrible and um it's funny because you've got these like, so many articles and if you just type brown sauce into the guardian food thing it, it feels like a weird social cleansing thing because there's one bit where um Someone's talking about how, of course, they eat it in Glasgow because no one's ever heard of salad in Glasgow. And like, oh, it's like some bizarre sauce by some invented by some mental Phileas Fogg type who wants to showcase the empire. And it's weird how hard the Guardian is coming for brown sauce. And it's kind of it's weird if you take it like a thread from like Wilson's gravy in the 60s of this being this thing that the, the party wanted to associate itself with to now it being this kind of snitty like thing to make fun of. Um, and it actually reminds me a little bit of um, what's that little Orwell book he wrote, um, The Dragon and the Unicorn or something. Um, and, and it's about like um, patriotism and about how every other country in the world apart from England is able to it's intelligentsia it's the smartest people in that society is able to take things from their own society and love them so like the the Russians love their poets the Irish love also their poets (laughs) and uh, the French love their food and it's like they're like the you know a French poet will go on and on about like how the peasants cook amazing meals and you know it's kind of there's always a sense of nationalistic pride but I think in Britain to be smart is to be embarrassed Right, because you're constantly apologizing for the thing that you've inherited, this rotting empire, and he's and so Orwell used to say like we're the only nation who finds nothing to be proud of. Our smartest people are also our most ashamed, and I think that feeds into the brown sauce discussion, right? Being ashamed of this like quite delicious sauce. <laughs> Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. And it's really funny, we ran a piece on this actually last week about Orwell and 
progressive patriotism which has sort of come around again around the current yeah. Labour leadership contest and yeah how there seems to be so little space for this in, yeah. in English culture um it's interesting I know A.A. A. Gill who was a, a great food writer and a great writer about bland English food and why we mm. should revere it as it happens used to have a line where he went you know every other country when they get drunk magnifies their national characteristics it's kind of yeah he imagines these you know flirty frenchmen and quite charming italians yeah yeah and he, people in northern europe he says really try to drink as much as they can while never looking drunk like that's the yes. best you can do in this country and he says it's because the entire id of the englishman is built on self-restraint and apology <laughs> that's so true and it somehow seems to connect to this to go okay we've come up with this thing which is built with the spoils of empire and we've kind of made it iconic but in a semi-ironic way yeah and then we're going to use it to just beat each other up about our class system i mean yeah. is there anything more british than no, that, that journey of a product <laughs> yeah it's, it's funny when you, i was thinking about uh, a similar way in, to that a gill point about drinking about um the irish character and obviously the thing our brown sauce is Guinness it's like it's a joke that we're allowed to make but only about ourselves and if like you make it about us we'll get pissy and there's this there's this interesting thing like because if you order a pint of Guinness it takes like five minutes right and you're just sort of there standing by the bar like you have to it has to be the first thing in your list of drinks you order in a round it does otherwise you it are beyond the pale it completely does and like I um like to sort of compound the stereotype as much as I can by being that loud Irish person at the pub and then ordering my Guinness and being like it's like because I've stopped smoking it's become my thing where I like I take five minutes to brood (laughs) (laughs) so yeah I think it's I think it's a reason why Irish people love it so much because it's a drink that has five minutes built in so you can brood by yourself and think of the next uh self-facing thing you're gonna say (laughs) (laughs) well that's so interesting to to kind of think about ritual as well because you do a really good job in this piece and um, we'll link to it under the podcast of talking about snobbery around food and that sort of guardian scathingness around brown sauce and so many of these things are built on ritual and and what part they have in your life and how you interact with them did you grow up eating brown sauce so we uh not the thing is it was it was in the repertoire do you know what I mean it was definitely like on the table if we were ever having a cooked breakfast or whatever but like because I don't attach the same uh thing to it I think that's actually why because I've been living in this country for almost 10 years now I'm not from here um but I because I'm English speaking I uh don't English people aren't guarded around me in the same way they are on other immigrants so it, it gets so for this column it puts me in a great place to watch other people react to this thing you know um and some people have very visceral reactions to it you know they were this, this this kind of like shuddering thing about it almost um and i bring up in the piece as well the sort of attachments to ritual and and the politicization of what we put on our tables where uh just after trump was elected or not, yeah just after he he was serving in office you know rightly or wrongly the entire left-wing media was just so exhausted by how defeated they had been by this um presidential race they were just looking at any kind of like tacky weird thing that trump was doing that we could make fun of and just sort of daub ourselves with and there was this piece of information that came out that he eats his steak he eats 50 dollars steak um 
well done covered in ketchup and there was i remember there was all these foodie blogs coming out being like god could he be any more like you know d class a basically he's got all the money in the world and no taste and then what they were completely avoiding when they spoke about this was like um that's how lots of americans have their steak do you know what I mean and uh and it's like yes he had it was kind of it kind of got to the nexus of both what made Harold Wilson popular and what makes Trump popular it's like yes he's got all this money and no taste (laughs) he's not like them you know he's he's got power but he's still like us because and that like that ketchup becomes like a weird signifier of that right and when you come for the ketchup you also come for those people and that's so resonant with how a weird quirk of how British people think about class which is trying too hard to be tasteful is the biggest giveaway of kind of not being upper class we have a very odd thing i think where um so an example might be if you have like a matching three-piece suite in your flat and not to kind of run for the labor leadership myself but when (laughs) when when i was little that was something people i lived around would kind of aspire to is being able to get a really nice matching set of furniture yeah whereas obviously if you're actually upper class you don't yeah. I mean you don't even buy your own furniture so that yeah. trying too hard to to be tasteful or to have the right source or to never be eccentric is kind of gives you away it, it like, completely does yeah it, it's it's so interesting and it's so um layered isn't it and yeah and it, it does have a thing of like truly upper class people like they don't really tend to, I, I I've I never get to meet them I don't because they, they <laughs> are in such rarefied circles but when I ever brush shows them they don't really care about how they look or come across and obviously the ridiculous thing about this is depending on whether or not you you like say a politician the same behavior can mean completely different things I remember when Andy Burnham responded to Mumsnet's famous question about what your favorite biscuit is which they ask every politician they interview yeah. and he said oh i prefer to have chips and gravy and everyone's like oh for god's sake misunderstood of course, the assignment of course yeah. You, yeah all right you prefer chips and gravy right. but you can imagine if he was a really beloved politician it yeah. would be quirky funny down to earth so there's kind of yes. not a way to win sometimes with and these questions. There was an interesting thing as well. I think these things come up constantly and they're always divisive. The thing where um, when Corbyn didn't know what time the Queen's speech was on, like, obviously, like like many Labour voters, I've fallen out of love hard with Corbyn. <laughs> I fell into love hard and you've I fell gone out on, of love You've hard. gone on a journey that would be familiar to many people. <laughs> yes, exactly. I've been on a journey. <laughs> yeah, and then... Um, but I, I remember like feeling those old flutters again when he was just sort of like, I don't, I don't, know, I don't know, with my family. I'm just, I'm having my Christmas. Leave me alone. I and love I how like, little this impression sounds like Jeremy Corbyn, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I feel it's revealing more about your feelings for Corbyn than about Corbyn. But, <laughs> but I remember just being the flutters of fondness again and being like, yeah, you shouldn't know when it's on. <laughs> Obviously, that feeling was not shared by everybody. <laughs> Our producer's kind of looking at us like, please stop talking about different Labour Party politicians and their exact position in the English class system. Yeah. Will this be a topic of a future column then? What time the Queen's speech is on and how you should feel about it? <laughs> well, there's so much to cover and I want to make sure that I don't end up just um, harking on food too much. And uh, I've got a couple of ideas in my back pocket. I think pyjamas are a very interesting one. So there was a headline recently about like how... Um, uh, women in China were going to the shops with their 
pajamas on and it was creating this, the same kind of moral panic that maybe about 15 years ago do you remember there was like all kinds I of people the going pajamas to Tesco yeah you know no. is it the downfall of society all this kind of thing and and obviously in China there's been like kind of a resurgence of the women's movement there which has been kind of parallel to this and actually if you look through history the history of women wearing uh, either underclothes or kind of pajama-ish clothing in public has a weird um, symbiosis with where the women's movement is. So if you think of the flappers, they're, we- they're basically wearing like night dresses, they're slips, they're like kind of very filmy things. Um, if you think of the 70s and the kind of caftan wear or whatever, and there's sort of this weird alignment between, um, you know, I am a creature who sleeps and breathes and lives and women fighting for their place in society and showing that with their, what they're wearing. So I think pajamas are fascinating. I'm also weirdly into Popeye at the moment, like because of how grotesque he is. Popeye is in Popeye the Sailor Man. Popeye the Sailor Man, yeah. <laughs> and I, 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 I'm, uh, I was getting dressed this morning, and I'm wearing a long dress right now, and. I was like, oh, geez, you know, I feel like Popeye's girlfriend. Do you know what I mean? And, and we all know who that is. It's olive oil. And I was like, God, she was weird looking and he was weird looking. And then I just sort of looked into them and um, I, I kind of found this very lovely story about. So the um, the creator of Popeye was this um, this Jewish man from Illinois and he grew up um, opposite this big family uh, with this, this very, very tall, dark haired girl who had a big family and had her hair always in a bun and he had this massive crush on her. And he created this comic strip um, called like the Thimble Theatre, the Thimbleful Theatre. And it was about all the oil big family. So it was very Laurie trying to join the marches. And then he introduced the sailor character and then the sailor character became huge because it was sort of like Depression era um, America kind of like I guess a working class slightly disfigured hero was the kind of person people wanted to see and then it all took off from there and olive oil became kind of secondary and uh, yeah I don't know I just I'm quite interested in finding the world within these things well you can find Caroline's column uh, in the current issue of Prospects on Newsstands and in future issues and also online on our website um, we will set up your author page and, and throw a link in below so people can find more of your work and you do also have your own podcast? I do, yes, yes. Um, I have a podcast called Sentimental Garbage, which is if you uh, are interested in women's fiction and everything I just spoke about, which is, you know, finding deep levels and things that possibly don't even need to be investigated, but I'm doing it anyway. Um, I talk about romantic fiction and the sort of themes within that, kind of the wider discussions that we can have from talking about the most popular romance fiction in our society. And you're also on Twitter at Zaraline. So Caroline, but Russian royalty. So C-Z-A-R. If you Google Caroline O'Donoghue, I'm sure you'll... That would work also. ...pop up in many locations. (laughs) Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Steph. I've loved it. Looking forward to hearing more about pyjamas and popo. (laughs) And moving on from the bees. that's all for this week thank you for joining us on the prospect interview you can read caroline's column in our new issue out on newsstands now and also follow her musings on everyday objects in many issues to come as well as on our website finally if you enjoyed the prospect interview please do leave us a rating and a review it really does help other people find us until next week then goodbye
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.